Hello, and welcome to this extra special episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the ambiguous. This week, we're going to be talking about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on your Stop Multiplying podcast. This week, we are talking about the final movie we are ever going to talk about on Pop Culturally Deprived. And because of that, we wanted to bring a very special guest on to talk with us. We are joined by mogul maven Lonnie Diane Rich, uh, creator of Chipperish Media, podcaster, author, teacher, does everything. And our inspiration. Oh, you guys and, and are so sweet. Matthew and I know each other because of you. <laughs> I am so excited about that. That is such an mm-hmm. honor, you know, to be the the uniting thing that brought you guys together so that you could create this amazing thing yes. that you've done. If, if- Congratulations, <laughs> 200 episodes, you guys. It's thank amazing. you. And thank you for coming to talk to us about this movie. You have been talking to me about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang since I started this podcast. It's probably <laughs> the first one you ever added to our list. And so I thought... Right. We couldn't have you on the show and go out on PCD without doing Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So, All right. Well, I'm um, excited. Welcome to the show for the last time. And uh, will you tell us why Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a movie that, that you think everybody should watch? I really like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I'm a big fan of Shane Black, who um, who wrote the uh, the screenplay. I also like Iron Man Three, as anybody who listened to my Marvel podcast, uh, Listen Up Aols, will remember, uh, which Shane Black wrote. It's different, but I liked it. Um, but the thing about this, I love this movie partially because I don't think I've ever seen a movie that has this much self awareness and this much genre savvy packed into, uh, you know, one film. It is a film also. A, a, a film that comments on films like it, uh, which I find really, really interesting. And it does, it has like a story obsession, which I also have. Um, so it's very fun for me to to engage with this whenever, uh, whenever I get the chance. I used to actually teach it in my screenwriting okay. class. Um, so it's really fun to kind of come back and revisit it now. I really had no idea what it was about. I knew Robert Downey Jr. was in it. And then I, and I knew you liked it. So when I sat down to watch it this morning, um, I was hooked almost immediately. And as soon as, like, he broke the fourth wall with his narration, I immediately said, I know why Lonnie likes this movie. <laughs> it's really fun. But what's <laughs> funny is that it has a lot of the writing devices that I usually, uh, you know, warn people against. It's got voiceover. It's got flashback. It's got prologue and mm-hmm. epilogue. Right. You know, these are all things that I'm like, Ugh, don't, you know. Um, but the reason why Ugh, don't is because a lot of people use them in ways that don't contribute to the narrative that actively detract from the narrative. So you just have to be careful about how you use it. But Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, first of all, very, very anchored in a film noir aesthetic, which basically requires mm-hmm. voiceover. Um, it, it, it's anchored in this, this very genre-savvy kind of storytelling. So it's actually using all of these devices as a commentary on the ways in which they're used within these kinds of Pulp Fiction stories that it's talking mm-hmm. about. I love What it. about you, Matthew? Had you seen it before? Oh. <laughs> I'd seen half of it before. Um. This is this was the oldest thing on the DVR. This is from 2016, 
Um, and I watched half of it. And then <laughs> might finish that later. And thank you, Did Marty, you bounce off of it? it? Was it something I don't like leaving you just didn't things for? Yeah, that happens. Yeah, this, <laughs> I, I'm not sure it's for me. And, and like, it's really strange because mm-hmm. watching, I was like, okay, people <laughs> rave about this film. I want to know, because I'd, I'd heard you talking mm-hmm. about it in, in terms of story and plotting. So I was sort of parking out the side, like, yes, I can see it's plotted very mm-hmm. well, but there's something about it that's not, not clicking. I think yes. it, it's kind of breathless and it feels like it lacks confidence in that. It's not la- leaving you to understand anything on its own or to let a moment land. It's, it's trying to have lots of style and lots of like witty banter dialogue back and forth. And then it's on to the next bit and then it's on to the next bit. Oh, next crack. If we just keep throwing jokes and lines at you, yes. eventually you're going to like them. <laughs> so some of them are going to land. So here's me saying lots of stuff. Um, so I think that's why I bounced off it the first time of just like, oh, I need to watch this again and really focus to make sure I'm keeping up with whatever it's doing. <laughs> <laughs> it is incredibly frenetic. Mm. It does have that really, really high energy that actually Robert Downey mm-hmm. Jr. is the perfect choice Absolutely. to translate that yeah. because he is he is frenetic and high energy mm. like that and can really pull that off. But yeah, I completely understand why you would bounce off of that. If you don't watch this movie at the right time in the right frame of mind, it can overwhelm you. It's like Lucy with the chocolates, right? The chocolate factory, (laughs) you know, where you've just got so much coming at you and trying to process it all in time can be really, really difficult. Mm. So yeah, I understand anybody who bounces off this movie. There are good reasons to bounce off. Yeah, I had to stop taking notes. Like, I think I got to like (laughs) note number 10 and we were like for like a scene in and I was like, I can't, I'm gonna have to pause. I just want to watch the movie. So I, I closed my yes. laptop mm-hmm. and just went with it. And I think that that helped. I don't mm. think I would have enjoyed it if I had tried to take notes um, because mm-hmm. I would have been questioning so many things and trying to pull yeah. threads that maybe shouldn't be pulled in this movie. <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, I really enjoyed it. I think it may have helped that I am such a fan of Tony Stark. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. If I if this was the first Robert Downey Jr. thing I had seen, I'm not sure I would have quite been there. But this just felt like mm-hmm. prototype Tony Stark to me. Mm. It does a bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, my husband walked into the room while I was watching it and he goes, I think Robert Downey Jr. was still on cocaine when he did this. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised, although his energy is is always like yeah. he's on cocaine. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think that there's something in his energy that just he has that incredibly high energy and that ability to maintain that heightened level of existence that this movie absolutely requires. You can, it's kiss, kiss, bang, bang, mm-hmm. no breath. Yeah, I think taken. this is yeah, his yeah. sort of constantly post rehab, post all of the arrests and everything that happened to him, post Ali McBeal, <laughs> which was the big thing, um, where he basically got mm-hmm. written out and fired after an episode. Um, and it's this that is him turning it around and, and showing he can still perform and people can take out insurance policies to ensure that he turns up. I think, I don't think it was this one. Maybe it's the scanner darkly where they kept back half of his salary until the finish of it. And that mm. became his standard contract apparently for a while. Oh, mm. okay. Oh, yeah. Um, I did see, so he was on the Joe Rogan show last year and he said, uh, that this was his favorite movie that he's ever done. He thinks it's the best movie that he's ever done. Okay. So I thought that was interesting, given that he's Iron Man. I mean, Iron Man's the best movie he's ever done. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) 
So, Mandy, having now seen it for the first time mm-hmm. properly, what did you think of it? I enjoyed it very much. Hmm. I, like I said, I had no idea what to expect going into it, but I'm a big fan of kind of that fourth wall narration. Okay. Um, like, I, I know I've talked about um, Stranger Than Fiction on, on the show before, which is the Will Ferrell serious movie that he did. And he does that. There, Well, he doesn't, but there's a narrator in that as well, which was my first experience with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's always what I think about whenever I see a movie that does it. And it's, I'm predisposed to enjoy it. Right. And and so as soon as he started doing that, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to probably enjoy this movie, even though I didn't know that it was going to be murder, mayhem, action. Um, after I watched it, I saw that it was described as like an action romance comedy. It's like, that's a misnomer. I mean, a <laughs> little bit of romance, but not really at all. So it's not mm. romantic. There's mm-hmm. there's sex yeah. in it. But it's it's not a romantic movie, I think, by any, you know, definition of that word. <laughs> um, I was surprised by Val Kilmer's character. And the amount mm-hmm. of blatant homophobia that was in the movie, but done in a very self-aware way. So I don't think it was intended to be offensive. It was meant to call attention to this is what it's like in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And that was... Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of homophobia and there's a lot mm-hmm. of misogyny. Um, and uh, and the thing is, is that you know one of the things that I often get critiqued for when I you know talk about uh, you know shows that are 20 years old or something is that oh you're trying to hold it to the standards of today, you know. Um, and the fact of the matter is, no, that's not what I'm trying to do. I, I don't think that it should change, you know. Um, but I think that when you have a text that rubber stamps certain really really toxic narratives, you need to call them out so you can kind of take some of that toxicity out and people Mm -hmm. can enjoy the story um so i'm very very sensitive to this kind of stuff when i when i engage with um with stories and as i was watching this i was like okay so we have this character and he's called gay perry and he uses the f word which is a slur that i will not use he is welcome to reclaim it as he sees fit um but uh but I, you know, like the the misogyny of it, the, um, you know, the overlap of chivalry, you know, and rape culture when we have uh, Robert Downey Jr. coming in during the scene in which she is, uh, you know, being assaulted mm. by this man and, uh, you know, picking a fight with him so that he can rescue her from that and getting the shit beat out of him in the process, which I think is, a, is an interesting subversion of the chivalry trope. Um, you know, we have the she's 35 and she's still trying. You've missed it. You know, uh, misogyny. There's. Um, there's a million little elements of that. But when they happen, they're not rubber stamped by the text as being mm-hmm. okay. You know, they're just ex- they're just saying these things exist. This is the culture that's out there. And we're commenting on that culture existing. But it's not rubber stamped and it's not, you know, stated as okay. And um, that's why I think in, in this particular instance, it works for me. I don't have a problem with the fact these things exist in the world and having them in the fiction is not a problem. Rubber stamping them in the fiction is a problem. And I don't think that this fiction does right. that. Um, I, when they first started going down that road, when we had the first scene with Val Kilmer in it, I immediately started to cringe and I was like, oh no. What is this movie? Yeah. Am I going to be okay watching this movie? But after that first scene, yeah. it was very clear that mm-hmm. they weren't saying this is okay. Um, and so I appreciated it more for that. Um, but I was a little bit concerned about this movie that you were having me watch, Lonnie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Uh, and there, I think there's a lot of movies and, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff in a lot of films because our yeah. culture, you know, kind of is, is, has got a lot of problems that it needs to work out. Um, but the thing that I really liked about the character of Perry is that, you know, they talk about him being gay. They definitely make that absolutely clear. And yet they don't go into a lot of gay stereotyping. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, you know, big, tough guy. Um, you know, and they don't mock him for mm. being gay. It is simply part mm-hmm. of who he is. Um, and so I, I like that they didn't go with the stereotypes. You know, I like that they played with this a little bit and, you know, acknowledged a lot of that, um, the homophobia that is in Hollywood and, you know, in everywhere in Western culture. Um, and, uh, and played with it and had some fun with it. So, um, I, you know, I, but it is, there is that moment where you're like, oh no. What are we? What are yeah. we about to do here? Because this isn't going to be good, you know. Um, and I, I felt that way a lot with the, um, you know, with the misogyny that was in it, with this kind of treatment of women. We have Robert Downey Jr. actually uh, being incredibly patronizing toward the character of Harmony, um, but every time he does, you know, he kind of gets slapped mm-hmm. back on it, you know. And I, so I kind of I appreciated that. I appreciated what the text yeah. did with it. The the bit that jumped out at me that I was like. Oh, I'm not sure, but I don't even know how to put into words how I felt. <laughs> Excuse me. But he, when they're in the bar, and he does this whole thing of all these women who come here and their daddy issues and so on. And it's, it is the sort of rant you hear in movies set in Hollywood from male writers who have worked in Hollywood for a number of years. And it's just, it's just what Shane Black thinks. I think I, it just, it feels like it's creeping I through. I don't no? think so. Because he because he was painted as an asshole for saying that in that scene. And since the text is not rubber stamping Mm -hmm. it, like allowing him to say these things like a a man who sleeps with a 100 women, you know, he's fine, nothing weird, but a woman who sleeps with a 100 men and every single woman in the place flipped Mm -hmm. off, right? They were all like, fuck you, dude, right? You know, and Harmony was having none of it. And this is the thing is that Harmony would reflect back on whatever stupid shit he was doing. I'm sorry. Oh, Am I allowed to say that? How about it? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I was like, I didn't ask first if I could curse on this. Show. Okay, so Harmony would reflect back on whatever he was sure, saying sure. and um and push back on it. And because we have that pushback within the text, um, you know, we're acknowledging all of these things, and but we're also commenting on them and being like, well, that's yeah. really dumb, you know. And uh, so in that case, I pretty much I was, you know, most of it I was I was pretty okay with because the the representation was that that Robert Downey. Jr usually got slapped or corrected mm. in most of these instances yeah because so often you see it and it's it's done because oh isn't it funny that they're mm-hmm. racist homophobic sexist whatever they are like oh that's really funny but then mm-hmm. you need that someone at some point to go and that's bad by the way mm-hmm. <laughs> you need yeah, the consequence it's... yes mm-hmm. there was one comment um in the bar that harmony made when she was talking about the 35 year old woman who's washed up yeah. and said she's had more sex than hot meals like that mm-hmm. line was a little over the top for me because it came from her 
it's a, a nod to definitely internalize misogyny, but also we had the moment later she gets slapped because he says she says she's 35 and he goes, how old are you? And she goes, 34, yeah. I'm a babe in the woods, right? Um, so, I mean, she is not that far away from that. And I think that what they're doing is shining a spotlight on her internalized misogyny and, and you know, hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and also the fact that like 35 is the cutoff, but at 34, you can, you're yeah. still okay, you know? Um, and that Hollywood does that to people so um yeah i mean definitely yeah you have that coming from harmony but also like internalized misogyny is absolutely a thing and you know and having it exist within the story i don't think is necessarily a problem but yeah it's it's not comfortable you have to you have to you know kind of ride out the discomfort in all of these circumstances and be like all right now let's you know let's not send messages that we don't want to send i think that actually they they come out of this pretty good on most of it, you know? Yeah. All right. I have a question about this movie that has nothing to do with any of the things that we've talked about so far. Okay. For either one of you, actually. So this movie came out in 2005. So then mm-hmm. why are all of the crimes treated as if DNA evidence doesn't exist? Fingerprints don't exist. I mean, they take this dead body and just, like, drop it on the sidewalk in the blanket from his hotel room. Like, Mm -hmm. and they're not worried that they're going to get caught up and, like, be suspects. Like, what? Is CSI not a thing in this alternate reality? I wonder if it's because they are playing with the 1950s format for detective pulp fiction that they are some in some ways living within a 1950s world, even though it is represented as a modern era tale, you know. Um, So I don't know. What do you think, Matthew? I thought Mandy wasn't going to be was going to be focusing on it. So she didn't poke holes in the plot and the writing. (laughs) I think. I think yes, there is a good reason why, and and we are not supposed to know it. We're supposed to enjoy it for what it is. <laughs> I mean, they did keep calling attention to the Johnny Gossamer books, and clearly this was inspired by um, what's his face, Raymond Chandler, I think, as a writer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you're probably yeah. right; it was intended to just, you know, we're not going to dive that deep because we are doing this noir thing. Mm-hmm. But I just couldn't help but notice all of the DNA evidence. But it may just be because I'm addicted to watching shows like Bones and Criminal Minds right now. So all I see is forensic evidence everywhere. And that apparently just didn't (laughs) exist here. Although I really enjoyed Robert Downey Jr. asking if they could ID him because he peed on her. He peed on her. And also there was the moment where he was worried about his fingerprint uh, being in the dog, in the dog's mouth. And then once the dog swallowed the finger, which, by the way, out of this whole thing... The finger thing, I hate. I hate it every time. It's so awful. It makes me cringe and it's stressful the whole way through. Um, the, the moment when the dog eats the finger is probably like the most disgusting moment in a movie full of disgusting <laughs> moments. Um, but uh, that's the one thing that like, I really like this movie. I really enjoy it. There's a lot of fun to be had here. But <laughs> Yeah, there was really no reason for the finger to be a part of it. Aside from just being gross. Also, if you get your finger slammed in a door, it's not going to slice off that right. cleanly. Um, but again, you know, <laughs> fiction, as I say, fiction is not answerable to reality. They were doing a thing. So, yeah. I, I did like with the 
What was the question you just asked on? Oh, with the the uh, CSI. Oh yeah, DNA and all that. <laughs> or, 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 yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That was exactly the word I was trying to search for. Just somewhere <laughs> forensic evidence. Like we've said this about films from this era, it's really hard because suddenly you start getting very technical science and you get very technical technology. At least they used cell phones in this kind of properly. Uh-huh. Like there was a photo on mm-hmm. the thing and they could hear and see what was happening via the phone. Uh-huh. Again, there's so many films that we've watched where like, why did no one have a mobile phone? Yeah. Why did they not just take right. it out of their pocket and find the police or something? Yep. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and at least Harmony called him when she's, you know, in trouble laying on the mm. side of the street or whatever. In so many movies she wouldn't have and just yeah. would have expected him to magically know that she needed help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was good. There were a lot of things in this movie. I think, Lonnie, like you said, it was very genre aware and it, it knew exactly mm-hmm. what it was doing. So it's, it's very tropey, but it's not because it's not doing them as tropes. It's doing it. Well, tropes in themselves are not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, tropes are simply repeated um, elements in storytelling, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, so a, a trope in and of itself isn't necessarily bad. Um, some tropes are, are weaker than others. Some tropes are, you know, homophobic or, you know, sexist or racist or whatever. And those are things that need to be seriously looked at. Um, but when you have something, like you said, that is so genre aware, um, that is looking to um, kind of be an homage to the genre. It is going to incorporate all of the tropes that are part of that mm. that genre and um, and have fun with them. In which case, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to be tropey in and of itself. It's how you use those tropes that that can be the problem. Do you think that this movie, because of the way it used tropes and the way it was so self aware, do you think that it didn't trust? the audience as it was telling the story or was not trusting the audience part of what it was doing because they kept just telling you outright over and over again what they were doing and what they were thinking and like it never gave the audience time to get there yeah i think that's just not what it was doing you know like some movies will say hey you're a partner in this you figure it out i'm gonna drop this here for you and you Mm. do the work um this is not one of those movies um that is asking you to do any of the work you are there to be taken on a ride and they are uh, they're guiding you it is a guided oh i like that through this story as opposed to yeah um so is that necessarily a bad thing i don't don't think so in and of itself um i think that especially because it is working with the classic los angeles noir aesthetic which kind of requires a voiceover of somebody explaining everything Mm -hmm. to you you know um, which is sort of standard part of that aesthetic um but but uh, you know robert downey jr takes that beyond all steps outside of the genre is incredibly aware uh fourth wall busting all over the place uh, to the point where at the end in the epilogue he's speaking directly to this audience and uh, you know and is aware of himself as a character within a movie so it sort of does almost the opposite of what many stories try to do which is to make you believe in the reality of this story so that you are transported and you are living within the existence of that story whereas Kiss Kiss Bang Bang actively resists that they're like no you you are an audience member watching a story. Do not ever forget your mm-hmm. place here, you know? Um, and it becomes almost a super commentary on the the 
movie itself is commenting on itself as it is happening, uh, which is really an interesting kind of device to use. Uh, you don't see it that often, and it's it's kind of fun the way that they played with that. Yeah, we saw yeah. it a bit in Robin Hood a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. where they did some of that of like, hang on, he's done something different from the script. Let's go back and check it in the script and so on, which didn't <laughs> land because it was, again, just trying to throw every joke mm-hmm. to, this, to it. Mm-hmm. This was every so often they did it. And yeah. it was you, you're more appreciative of it when it's, oh, yes, they're doing that thing. That's fun. <laughs> right. Right. If you forgot for a moment that you were mm. an audience member, uh, Robert Downey Jr. came in there very quickly to remind you to take your seat and just let him guide you through it. Yeah. yeah. Um, we watched I made I made Matthew watch The Sweetest Thing last year when we did a, a rom-com <laughs> month. And that movie ended very similarly, like the entire movie. It doesn't break the fourth wall at all. But at the very end, in the end credits, mm-hmm. the cast starts talking to the audience like why are you still here watching this you're weird you know and they keep doing that while at the same time showing us that they lived happily ever after after the movie Mm -hmm. and so i think it's just interesting how different movies do that different ways yeah and for a movie that doesn't have that as part of Mm -hmm. its aesthetic throughout that can be incredibly jarring in the moment where they do break that fourth wall because you are uh, one of the big things that stories do is transport you into the world of the story. You are existing within that space. That's why we, you know, we laugh, we cry, you know, because we are experiencing this with these characters. And um, the effect of breaking the fourth wall is really to put the audience at a distance and keep them in their seats rather than invite them into the world. So if you have a movie, that has invited you into the world the whole way through and then all of a sudden at the end is like well what's up with you um that feels like that would be jarring i haven't seen that um but it feels like that i would find that jarring matthew didn't like the movie i wouldn't i i feel exactly (laughs) the same way you know when you watch and i I don't think they did it in this and i now can't think of an example Mm -hmm. but you know when you're watching and there's like a splash of water or blood or something happens and it hits the camera Mm-hmm. And it's that moment of like, yes. oh, they're reminding us that we have a window thing between us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's stylish, but. Yeah, but yeah. you pay a price for it. Like every decision in storytelling, there is mm-hmm. a cost to it. And if you're not aware or conscious of what those costs are, sometimes you'll do something just because, oh, that'd be neat, yeah. you know, um, but you have to recognize what what that does to the experience of the mm-hmm. the reader. And, I, you know, I use reader generally across the board, whether it's books, movies, TV, game shows or whatever, um, that the audience, mm-hmm. the person experiencing this story, um, you have to think about what their experience is going to be and what that's going to do to their experience when you draw attention to that you know that layer between you um, most stories most films most movies most tv shows try to make that as invisible as possible when somebody deliberately makes that visible and it's deliberate all right fine if it's a mistake and it's just like oh won't that be cool you know but you're still you're doing yeah. something with that and you need to be aware of the effect on your your audience when you do that so you've talked a little bit on the, the plotting and the tropes and the aspect of it, but I have heard you talk about this as as the way it's intricately plotted, appealing to you. Is there is there a core of it that you think this is the sort of thing I want to see replicated? 
when I say replicated, I think that it does a really interesting thing. Um, I think a lot of movies like this would be exhausting for a lot of the reasons that you talked about, you know. Um, I, I do like what it does. It actually reminds me a little bit of the 2019 movie Knives Out, um, which I recently watched for How Story Works. We discussed the story over there uh, with Dr. Kelly Jones, who has also uh, worked mm-hmm. with you, Mandy, on your um, on your your uh, Southern Fried. Um, yep. Oh, Southern Fried. The worst. Yeah. You had it. Southern Fried Pop Culture. That's what it was, yes. Um, I can't remember anything anymore. I'm too old. Um, but uh, but anyway, so we uh, discussed Knives Out, which is this um, mystery uh, by Ryan Johnson that came out in 2019. Really, really fun, but also like beautifully plotted, um, but but so frenetic, you know? Um, so there are some movies that can do this really, really well, but it can be somewhat exhausting. So do, do I think that everybody should do this? No. I think that when people do this kind of of thing that um, that it can be a lot of fun and having a, um, a a movie that is structured in a way that you could bounce a quarter mm-hmm. off it um, is really nice like from the craft perspective of understanding how structure works this is the kind of thing I've taught this right. in my class because it is so incredibly structured but sometimes again like the cost that you pay for that is that you have a frenetic movie in which you don't have time to take a breath um, you don't have time to experience things with your characters um the emotional moments may uh you know be obliterated entirely in kiss kiss bang bang we don't have much of that like deep emotionally connected everything is subverted so even if you have a moment of true and genuine emotional connection between these two characters the next second he's going to be throwing a fit because she slept with his best friend in high school like there's you know there's always they're always going to subvert that stuff um so i think that like do i think every movie should be like this no the movies that are i do have a lot of respect for and they also give me things that i can you know show in my class in my podcasts um to to illustrate how structure can work, but structure can also, structure doesn't necessarily have to take up the amount of real estate within the story that it does here that it does in Knives Out. Um, here we have structure is taking up almost all of the real estate and a lot of um, stories you can have structure take up just enough that it can give the rest of the story a space to, you know, like a stage to to do the play on, you know. Um, but this one is one of those things where it is there, it is structured within an inch of its life um, and you're going to walk through through this, knowing exactly where everything is going at all times, so it's it's fun. I definitely love it, um, but I don't think all movies like this you would be mm. exhausted, just yeah. you know, as a as a viewer. And, and it is nice that some of these, yeah, Mandy made the comment about like they're not necessarily trusting the audience and explaining mm-hmm. everything out. Like that's good as well. Like not everything has to be impenetrable. You know, Christopher Nolan, yeah. we have to question ev- everything that's presented it's on okay. screen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, you know, different stories do different things. And this is just one of those stories that, that you know, pays a little bit of a price for some of the things that it chooses to do. But the things that it chooses to do, I think it does really, really mm-hmm. well. I think it's interesting that you draw the connection between this and Knives Out. I think, um, I think in Knives Out, they're going to do more stories in that world, but following the oh. investigator. Was mm-hmm. that... Right, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that was what was. Benoit yeah, Blanc. that was what mm-hmm. was being touted when we because we covered it a year ago. Yeah, it's, it's with, been a little um, while since we did one it, of the chaps but... from Cult Popture. So yeah, yeah. So it's going to be more stories in that world, completely unrelated to that particular mystery. And so the only character that 
mm-hmm. bleeds through is the detective. And so I'm wondering, do you think it would be interesting to do something like that with this movie where we just follow Val Kilmer's character and not even have Harry be a part of it? <gasps> I don't know that you can do this without Harry. It relies so much on Harry. Um, because in this, Harry actually is the detective putting it mm-hmm. all together. You know, um, Perry is the mentor character. Um, so, of course, at the end, he gets shot. And you're like, yes, the mentor has to die. And then he, you know, sub- they subvert that trope as well when they get to the end of it. Um, I, I don't know. I would say that, you know, Shane Black, I think, um, knows what he's doing. If he decided to do that, I think that would be definitely very interesting. But I think that Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is in itself um, a contained mm-hmm narrative it is an homage to the johnny gossamer and i don't know that there's much in that homage that they did not fit into this movie already that there would be much left over for them to really examine in that place um that said if there was some kind of kiss kiss bang bang universe thing that shane black decided to do i would absolutely (laughs) watch it you know i mean if he's if he's doing it i'll be there all right Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think we're through the talking points because there is, like, you know, it is a dense film, so there is a lot we can unpack. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm interested in in what we enjoyed. Like, is, is there stuff that you would, you know, over and above, it's structured really tightly, it's really interesting because breaking the fourth wall and doing all this sort of thing. What's just good about it? What should people look out for to go, oh, yeah, I enjoyed that? I think it's mm. funny. I mean, I think it's just funny. I think that, of course, Robert Downey Jr.'s charm you know, you've got that much charisma. It's like 20 pounds of charisma packed in a 10 pound bag. Like it's, you know, it's insane. Um, can be overwhelming, I think, mm-hmm. at times. Um, but I think that Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is just a fun experience. Um, and so I think that going into it, looking to just have a good time and just follow it through and enjoy it. And it's taken me, honestly, every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, so that's how that fit together. Because it happens so much so fast that there's a lot of it that you just you cannot it's a whirlwind um but i think that what's really good i love uh, robert downey jr i love the performances i think that michelle monaghan as uh, harmony is amazing um i love val kilmer in the role of harry um i think that there's uh there's a lot to enjoy in it it's just kind of a fun good time um mandy what do you think do you, did you enjoy I it i did i think it's got um some really mm-hmm. great quotes um, some one-liners, particularly yeah. from Val Kilmer's character. I mean, that's really what they did is they mm-hmm. gave him the one-liners, mm-hmm. as, I guess, yeah. as you said, as the mentor. Um, you know, things like, what it, what's next to idiot in the, the dictionary? And and they subvert that because usually what you're yeah. saying when you do that insult is, well, there's a picture of you. And Harry says that and he's like, no, it's the definition of idiot, which you are. <laughs> you know, things like that. That's not what you expect. Yeah. Um, so that's that's fantastic. Um, the whole peeing on the corpse thing just made me laugh a lot. I mean, who thinks to put that kind of detail in a movie? Especially when you're, you know, ignoring forensic evidence. It's, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> um, the the repeat joke about badly. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. Um, I, I just, I think it was, I don't know that it's like quotable per se, but the jokes are funny when I hear them and they make me want to, they make me laugh and they make me say, oh yeah, what's that thing that he said? So I think, yeah, it, I would definitely suggest anybody who hasn't seen it, watch it, Mm -hmm. but also recognizing that it's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea. 
Matthew. <laughs> Did you enjoy it more this time? No. Oh, no. no. Okay. <laughs> no. I think, I mean, this might also be the sort of 2020 issue. What I'm looking for at the moment is good people doing good things and being nice mm. and successful and stuff. Right. Like, like, I just want to watch Happy TV. We just finished watching Ted Lasso, which is just incredibly good, positive TV. So more of that. Oh, that's Everyone's nice. awful in this and they're awful to each other and okay. they get in awful situations. So it yeah. was a tad stressful. <laughs> but like, I, I, can, I can absolutely see everything that's there and I can see some of that stylish, but it didn't mm. land. Except for... Mm-hmm. The bit where he's hiding under the bed and the girl on the bed is shot and ends up next to him dying and looking at him and he's having to make keep her quiet so that he's not revealed that he's there. I mean, I mean, that is pretty strong. That's the sort of thing we've seen in years past from Tarantino and then Hitchcock. And it's it's got that level of quality to it. That was quite gripping. I enjoyed that. That's a big mm. emotional moment. And then when he calls Perry and says, I just yeah. shot someone, you know, and he is actually feeling the response to that, which is something we don't ordinarily mm-hmm. see in movies that are this mm-hmm. violent. Usually the violence is, um, uh, you know, de-traumatized, yeah. right? You know, there is, there is trauma and shock involved in all of that. And we do get a sense of his, his mm. sense of shock. You know, um, and his experience of, of, I just killed somebody. And then later on, we see him shooting all these guys and mm-hmm. it's nothing, you know. Um, but in that moment, it is, it is actually, you know, for a movie like this that mm-hmm. tends to undercut its emotional, uh, I would even say moments, emotional opportunities mm-hmm. where there might have been a moment, you know, um, that is something that we don't undercut that we actually experience. And that's a rare thing for this film, but it is a, it is a really nice. And, and I think it, absolutely plays that it was a premeditated shooting you're absolutely right it wasn't him shooting people because they're shooting at him that kind of thing he has to think am i going to do this and he's like yes yes this person deserves to die and then he deals with the consequences and that's i like when he says i'm sorry hmm. too he puts he wipes the gun off and he puts it in her hand and he says i'm yeah. sorry and it's so heartfelt you know um and that is one of the things that makes me that's a moment that almost we have all of these subversions of everything. And that is a moment that almost is also a subversion because your expectation in a movie like this is that he's going to come out. He's going to shoot the guy and the guy deserves it. Cause we just saw him shoot mm-hmm. that girl and he's bad, you know? And yet we have this very human moment in a, in a part of a film that in these kinds of stories, that moment is portrayed as absolutely righteous heroism rather than a morally complicated moment that is going to shock and traumatize our main character. Lonnie, I love listening to you talk about stories and movies. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love talking about it. <laughs> it just... Yeah, I just want to sit here and listen to you talk all day. That's that's all. <laughs> Aw, thank you. Um, is that the only scene in this whole movie that you enjoyed, Matthew? Well, you know, I'm calling out particular favors. I'm calling out things that really landed very well because there was a lot okay. in it that I just was like, "What? What? Okay. Mm-hmm. Give me a second just to take in what you're doing. Why is there a big spider randomly crawling in her bra? Oh God." <laughs> Is is that just the excuse to have Michelle Monaghan in a bra on the bed? Like, <laughs> it's the yeah, but I love that the spider leg, this gross thing, becomes this moment of proof of love, and she says, "I can trust mm-hmm. you now." 
you know? Um, God, this movie. It really, like, the more you dig into it and think about these little elements, the more I actually like it. You know, it's just so freaking interesting. While at the same time, completely understanding why Matthew, it's a bit much. It's mm-hmm. a lot. It is a lot, you know, and it can be overwhelming, especially at a time, you know, right now where, yes, when you started talking about Ted Lasso, I was like, oh, I need to yes. watch that because nice people being nice would be really nice right now. You know, um, and this movie, can, it's just a lot, you know, so um, I can I can definitely understand that. But on the on the, you know. On the level of a, a good, solidly built narrative that knows exactly what it's doing, you know, I love it. <laughs> you know, this movie made me wish that Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer had done more movies together. I enjoyed the two of them together very much. Mm, good. Yeah. Yeah, they have fabulous chemistry. And I love, too, the kiss, right? You know, we have Robert Downey Jr.'s, like, homophobic spit it out afterward, you know. But the two of them were so, um, they were so good together. They had a loving partnership, you know, a real friendship underneath all of that. And, you know, and we have that trope of, like, oh, let's hide from the cops. And it's an excuse for a man to grab the woman and just kiss her. And that's the, you know. Um, And so it was a subversion of a trope, but it was kind of, it was kind of fun. And it was nice to see them have that and still have, you know, a a, a loving, connected, emotional, you know, uh, masculine friendship in which, you know, we have a one moment of homophobia from Robert Downey Jr., but for the rest yeah. of it, he's pretty good, you know? And I kind of, I liked it. You know, I liked mm-hmm. their relationship. Well, and I like that it went from Robert Downey Jr. says, I thought we were friends, and Val Kilmer's like, no, we're not, you know? And I don't even remember how he mm-hmm. followed that up, but by the end of it, you know, it's only been a yeah. day, maybe two, and they are yeah. genuinely friends by the end of it because yeah. they've been through trauma together and they've helped each other. And that's really nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, the trauma is not nice, but. <laughs> but the yeah. bonding from the trauma, you know, uh, the, the bonding, the fast bonding that the trauma allows these yeah. two to do, you know, I think is. And enough so that he, uh, Val Kilmer, goes back to Indiana for Jenna's funeral. Right. Like, that's not necessarily what I expected from this trio. But I like Mm -hmm. that we got that at the end. And I like that it's Perry who confronts the dad. Yeah. Even though he doesn't do anything, Mm -hmm. but essentially calling him a piece of shit. But Mm -hmm. I like that -hmm. that he got the opportunity to do that because you would have expected it to be Harmony or even Harry, because Harry's tried to be all chivalrous and stand up for her. Um, mm-hmm. But to have it be Perry was, again, another subversion, mm-hmm. I think, in this movie. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. All around, great movie. Good. Well, I'm glad that you guys enjoyed Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it, Mandy, and I'm sorry I'm, that you I'm didn't glad have to you. finally finish it. I don't like having things not done. Yes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There so go. there was that. <laughs> um, thank you, Matthew, for letting me choose this movie as our final movie, even though you knew you were probably not going to like it. I, I didn't know. Just been, you know, having a quick look at his career. I didn't know Shane Black wrote The Long Kiss Goodnight. Because that's a good film. It is a good film. Wow. Yeah. He's he's written a lot of good stuff. Um, he's actually fairly prolific, and um, and I've heard I have not seen yet, but I've heard really good things about the nice now, guys. Now that is terrific. That is really good. 
Mm-hmm. That I enjoyed a lot. Yeah. And I liked Iron Man mm. 3, too. I mean, it's it's a divergence from the MCU, definitely. But I like it, too. It, You're not so. alone. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> I actually think it's my favorite of the three Iron Man movies, so. Oh, absolutely. Iron Man 2 is just a tragedy. I hate Iron Man 2. Anyway, anybody who wants to hear those opinions can go to Listen Up A-Holes. I don't need to retread them here. <laughs> All right. Um, I feel like I don't need to ask what's next, Matthew, because there are no more movies. What's in our future? Nothing. Oh. Nothing. No, there is There is an episode 200. We do need to have a retrospective, have a think about mm-hmm. what we've done, celebrate four years of doing this, and all our wonderful guests, yes. such as Lani. Yes. Oh. And of course, we will look to the future as well. And our brand new podcast, Movie Fight Club, coming soon. I'm excited yes, for that. Go look at that on, on all good podcatchers. You should be able to subscribe. Please go subscribe. Episode soon. We promise. <laughs> it's going to be amazing to argue with you every week. Yay. Yay. <laughs> oh, come on. This was your idea. You know you're excited about it, too. <laughs> but he's British, so he I'm has to be I'm looking forward to a life of people telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> Oh, I'm Aww. people now? I'm not people. I'm Mandy. <laughs> All right. So we would love to hear your thoughts on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. I am Mandy Kay, and you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay. And I'm on Twitter at Matthew Vose. Lonnie, obviously a, a huge delight to have you. So I think this is three, four times you've come on. So thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much. It's always fun to spend time with you guys. I'm so excited that you guys started this venture and have been podcasting and are moving into, you know, new shows and all of this stuff. I just love watching what you do. Yeah, so excited. Um, Where can people find you? What's going on at the moment? What are you releasing right now? Oh, my goodness. Right now, um, I am doing I'm continuing my run through Buffy with Still Pretty, uh, which is a podcast and anybody can do a search for Still Pretty and find it. Um, I also do How Story Works with Dr. Kelly Jones. We're uh, going through um, all of my narrative theory bit by bit, season by season. We're now in the middle of our season on conflict. Um, Big Strong Yes, which is a uh, podcast also done with co-host Kelly Jones is um, is coming out. We're going to be starting that again soon. We're where you read self-help books and struggle through them live on the air. So that's always fun. Um, and anybody who wants to find anything else out about me can go to chipperish.com or find me on Twitter at Lonnie Diane Rich. I didn't know that Big Strong Yes was getting a season two. And now I'm really, really excited. <laughs> Big Strong Yes is coming back. We're doing uh, the book Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski, um, which is actually, you know, very well timed for talking about how to deal uh, with various types of stress overload and i think that at the end of a pandemic uh you know that's a really really great thing to talk about so we're going to be processing through that book and maybe some others as well we're figuring it all out now but definitely we're starting to burn out can't wait excellent pop culture deprived (laughs) is completely funded by our lovely listeners just like you through patreon anything give gives access to exclusive content and bonus shows and early shows and all sorts of physical merch and if you want to find out more you can go to patreon.com slash eloquent gushing and we will be back next week with another episode but we will not be talking about any more movies our final episode will be a wonderful retrospective on the last four years until then i am andy k and i'm going to be an actress God, I love your sign-offs. <laughs> You're so great. 
Popculturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.